so enjoy what I had to share with us on uh, Friday night, and we're we're so looking forward again to hear uh, what you would have to say to us. We're we're saddened that Marjorie uh, wasn't able to to be with us this weekend. Mm. We would love mm. her to be here as well, but we're, we thank God that she is. Yes. Uh, the the angiogram um, tests for her heart were clear. Mm. Um, a few days ago, and she's at home now and, and just uh, building up her strength, and we just thank God for that. Amen. And we just, as a, a, a leadership and as a church, just want to, to say that we so appreciate um, Pastor Jim Dyke mm-hmm. um, for your friendship. I know to Eugene and Darla for many, many years, mm-hmm. but to us as a church, um, that you've you've come and you've stood with us, mm-hmm. um, and at times when it's been hard uh, for a year. That's really, we really appreciate that, Amen. that you've stood with us and that um, you share mm. with the vision that we have Amen. to see God move and a mighty way. So, mm. Jim, we're just going to welcome you and ask you to come and share God with you. Well, first of all, thank you for your prayers from Andrew. She is doing well. Uh, God willing, she'll be with us the next time uh, we come here. But I can't tell you how much of a pleasure and a privilege it has been to be here this weekend. And just to meet you all and to feel this atmosphere. Oh, I've waited a long time to feel this kind of atmosphere again. You have got a blessed climate here. Guard your climate. Don't allow climate change to come into this place. Look after your climate. Watch it. I just thought these children out here, the best gift you can give these children is presence. When they grow up in this kind of atmosphere, what a gift to give those children. You know, a whole generation, for a hundred years in the days before David, a whole generation grew up with no presence. The, temp- the tabernacle was there, but there was no ark. The ark was lost. The ark was hidden. And for a whole generation grew up without presence. They had religion with no presence. They had services but no presence. And then David came along. And David restored the ark in the presence of God. And the best gift you can give these children is presence. To grow up in this kind of atmosphere. What a blessing for these youngsters. God bless them and God bless you. And what is happening in this place? Well this morning, for those of you who have got the switch on type Bible. And those of you who have got the other type of Bible. We're going back to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 and I mentioned on Friday night that this chapter is one of those hinge chapters a lot turns in this chapter this is the the 40 days that Jesus had with his disciples before he ascended to heaven and you wouldn't have to be much of a business guru to look at these disciples and say they were woefully unready for the task that lay ahead of them they were a men who were dispirited. They were a group of disciples who uh, were traumatized. The cross had completely shattered their lives and they were in no fit state to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And there they were in a room that had the doors locked and the windows barred and they were living there in fear. And you know, for those disciples, they needed those 40 days with Jesus. Uh, those were very important days with them. Now sometimes we are guilty of looking at the resurrection in a, like a forensic detective at a crime scene. 
Now there's no doubt about it, the cross was a crime scene, the greatest crime in the whole of history. You know, when the only uh, sinless man was convicted by a, a collaboration between religion and government, and the two came together and convicted the only sinless man who's ever been on this earth, and they convicted him. So it was a, a crime scene, but so often... Uh, we come to the resurrection and we look at it with uh, some interesting things to look at. For example, some would say, well, consider the evidence of the grave clothes. You know, the body of Jesus, they didn't unwrap. It's as though the body materialized, you know, through the grave clothes. And it was all there, but it had collapsed then because the body was no longer there and the, the head cloth was laid in a, a place by itself. What about that stone? Who moved that stone? I mean, that stone falling into its place would be comparatively easy. But getting out of that groove and getting out, it would take many men to move that stone. Who moved the stone? What about the curious incident of the, the resurrected saints who appeared in Jerusalem? In Matthew 27, it talks about those saints and the graves were opened and they appeared in Jerusalem. You know, that what a curious incident that was. Fancy, this is your uncle so-and-so, we buried him last week and he is here tonight. You know, it was a very curious time that for those who saw that. What about the bribes that were given to the soldiers? A large sum of money. Uh, was this kind of, some kind of slush fund? that the, the leaders had to pay off, you know, people who didn't see things their way. And so there was all kinds of aspects of the resurrection that we could look at and consider and find it very interesting. But the resurrection was far more than an interesting event just to be discussed. For these disciples, the resurrection was personal. It was absolutely personal. Because it was more than just a body that was in the tomb. It was their hopes and their dreams that was in that tomb. They had placed so much in him. They'd given up so much to follow him. They'd given up careers and jobs. They'd given up their reputation. They were no longer welcome in the synagogue. There was so much in that tomb. was more than just the body of Christ. It was their hopes and their dreams. Their faith in Christ was in that tomb. They'd put all their faith in him and here it had come to an inglorious end. He was dead. He was in the tomb and the tomb was sealed and it seemed as though the whole thing had come to a dreadful conclusion. And of course also this time it was not only that, their faith in God was in the tomb. You know, where was God when his son was suffering? They heard the son, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there was no answer from heaven. So there were so many things going through these minds, uh, the minds of these disciples. It was all summed up in one sentence. We had hoped that he was the one that was going to rescue Israel. We'd hoped. But of course now all the hopes were dead. Can you imagine the, the internal emotional conflict of these disciples when all oh, they'd been so keyed up, they were so excited, you know, when they saw Christ, you know, going into Jerusalem, riding on the donkey and all the crowds and the people shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who is coming in the name of the Lord. And within a few short hours after that, he's dead. It seemed as though the whole thing had come to a dreadful conclusion. It appeared as though the religious authorities had won in the end. 
I'm sure the authorities were congratulating themselves. I'm sure they were high-fiving and I'm sure they were slapping each other's back and I'm sure they were saying, haven't we done well? We managed to get rid of this imposter and we did it during the Passover when there was two and a half million people in the city and there was no riots. Isn't it? We really handled this very well. Now we can get back to the business of religion. Back to the business of controlling people through religion and they were very good at it. And it paid very well too. They were very rich men because of the way they sold religion. So I'm sure they were congratulating themselves. And so here we have disciples who are traumatized. They are broken. They are severely disappointed. And you have religious leaders who are congratulating themselves and are pleased with the outcome. And then along comes the resurrection and completely changes the whole thing from a tragedy to a triumph. The resurrection completely changed the whole thing. These men were going to realize that this event was the biggest turning point in history. It was not a tragic mistake. It was by the preordained and foreordained will of God that Jesus should go through this. And the resurrection was part of that. And so for these disciples, the 40 days... When they were meeting the resurrected Christ were days that were very important to them. During these days he would give them many infallible proofs. So they were totally and utterly convinced he was alive. Because these men were going to be called upon to die for this. And you don't die for a lie. These men were going to be called upon to die for this truth. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is alive. And that truth was going to cost them their life. So he gave them many infallible proofs that he was alive. They had to be totally convinced. This was the first fruits of a new life. This was a new creation. This was life, but not as we know it. This was a completely different kind of life. now, And Christ was the forerunner of a completely new life. Dare I say the prototype. Because as he is, so we will be. Because he lives, we also will live. His body will be our body. And so he was the forerunner of something totally new. There have been some great events in history. You know, great events there. The Battle of Waterloo, the Declaration of Human Rights, discovery of penicillin, abolition of slavery. Great events. But oh, above them all, there is the event of the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our amazing Saviour. Just imagine this. Here is Christ now. He has just accomplished the greatest event in history. An event that was prepared before the foundation of the world. He was the Lamb who was slain before. Before there was a sinner, there was a Savior. Before the foundation of the world, He was the Lamb that was slain. This event was preordained by God before the foundation of the world. This event would have repercussions. Not only for a time, but also for eternity. Not only for these people, but also for the whole of mankind and the creation. Jesus had just scored the greatest victory over the greatest enemy. The keys of Hades had been taken from the enemy. And he'd opened the doors of paradise. And he had led captivity captive in a great triumphal train and taken them into the presence of God. What a defeat. Colossians said that he made a show of them openly. He humiliated them. So Christ has just accomplished this incredible event in history. And the first converts 
or being registered in heaven now the thief on the cross this day you will be with me in paradise the Roman centurion surely this man was the son of God the first converts were coming into the, into the, into the kingdom of God the veil, that earthquake that shook the whole temple and the veil was ripped up very thick curtain it was ripped by unseen fingers and ripped from the top to the bottom and the stone was rolled away and an angel the Bible says and sat on it with utter contempt it's just the best you can do to keep him in and sat on the thing after the stone was rolled away so in the midst of all of these great things heaven would be rejoicing with all that was happening but in the midst of all of this these momentous events Jesus took the time to go for a walk with two disciples can you believe that he even cooked breakfast for Peter isn't that something he went for a walk with two hurting disciples they were so broken so traumatized but here was the resurrected glorious Christ now he takes time to go for a walk and they weren't even apostles they were just ordinary church members and he goes for a walk with him. Let's read the story, shall we? Luke chapter 24. Do you like a good story? This is one of the, the best stories in all of the Bible. It begins with pain and ends with pleasure. It begins with sorrow and ends with joy. It's considered to be one of the most heartwarming stories in all of the Bible. That walk that Jesus went with two hurting disciples now that same day two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem they were talking with each other about everything that had happened and as they talked and discussed these things with each other Jesus himself oh I love that little word there that means more in Ireland doesn't it it's himself they came along Jesus himself not an angel or an archangel or a cherubim or a seraphim it was Jesus himself that came along and walked with them but they were kept from recognizing him he asked them what are you discussing together as you walk along they stood still their faces downcast one of them named Cleopas asked them I'm sure there was a note of exasperation are you the only visitor of Jerusalem and don't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. I'm sure there was a twinkle in his eye was asking this. What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and all our elders handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more... It is the third day since this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but did not find his body. But they came and said that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, Oh, how foolish you are. How slow of heart. To believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things? And then enter his glory. And beginning with Moses and the prophets. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. 
And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Oh, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks, broke it and began to give to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together saying, It is true the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Is not that a beautiful story? How he walked with them from the burning, from the broken heart to the burning heart. Because he opened the scriptures to them. Let me ask you a question. How do you handle disappointment? How do you handle disappointment? When people let you down, when life lets you down, your career, if it collapses, your health, you lose it. Marriage can fall apart sometimes. Friendships, life's paradoxes and unfair circumstances. Good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. And sometimes you can feel very disappointed with life. And for some people, it leaves them bitter and cynical and withdrawn and even withdrawing from God and church themselves. And sometimes the hardest thing is when it appears when God has let you down. When he hasn't come through with the answer you were looking for. What you believed for, what you had faith for, and it doesn't happen. And where is God? Like Habakkuk, how long must I call and you don't answer me? And it appears as though God himself has let you down. Miracles and answers to prayer seem to be happening to everyone else except you. Everyone else is getting answers, but you're not getting the answers you look for. You know God has no favorites, but you look at other people and you think, well, God seems to love them more than he loves me. Look at the evidences of these two as he walked along this road. The Bible says they stood still, their faces downcast. One translation has it, twisted with grief. You know, a grief-stricken face is very recognizable. And these men, the Bible says, their faces were stricken with grief, twisted with grief. They were negative. They had nothing good to say. Remember, the disciples refused to believe the woman. When the woman came in and said, we have you know, seen him, we have seen the empty tomb, they did not believe them. So they did not believe them at all. And they were rude to Jesus. They said, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem? I'm sure afterwards they must have said, clear for You said that to the Lord. I said that to Jesus. Yes, you did. I heard you. You're the only visitor. In the- Where have you been for the last few days, man? Don't you know what's been going on there? They were certainly not the first or the last to go through this kind of experience. I think for most Christians there comes a time in your life when you are called upon and you have to go through experiences that leave you very perplexed and leave you very distressed. Look at David. He said, Will the Lord reject us forever? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has his mercy clean gone forever? What about Jeremiah when he said, You're always righteous, O Lord, but oh, I'd speak to you about your justice. You're always right, but you're not always fair. 
That was Jeremiah to the Lord. Moses, if this is the way you're going to treat me, kill me now. What a thing to say to God. What about Mary and Martha? If you had been here, our brother would not have died. Can you hear the accusation in that voice? If you'd been here, Lord, not delayed your coming, our brother would not have died. These two were heartsick and they were disappointed. But little did they realize that the master counselor, the great counselor had come along and at the moment of deepest despair, God was about to break through with the greatest victory. And he was going to take them on a journey of change. A journey of change. You know, there are two things you need to keep in mind here. One, God's ways are higher than our ways. God is working to a bigger agenda than your agenda. Your agenda is important, but God is working to a bigger agenda than your agenda. God has got long-term plans. And the problem comes when we try to fit God into our plans. Recognize God loves you, but he's working to a bigger purpose than your purpose. The second thing we've got to remind ourselves is that God is more concerned with the development of my character than with my comfort. Character, comfort. Which do you prefer the most? I think most of us gravitate towards comfort more than character. Not many people get up in the morning and say, Lord, I pray that today you will bring into my life some difficult circumstances that will teach me character. Have you ever heard anyone pray that kind of prayer? I have not. We're asking God to protect us and look after us and bless us and smooth out the path and give us a good day. We want instant answers, quick responses, and we want God to get busy in our lives God is more concerned with your character than he is with your comfort so Jesus then began to take them on a journey of change the master counsellor those of you who are involved in counselling observe the great counsellor at work here as he goes to work on these two men now Luke was a great doctor but oh Luke's a great storyteller as well he was a very careful storyteller and he crafts this story together in such a beautiful way look at these men shuffling along the road to Emmaus they were walking into the sunset because Jerusalem to Emmaus is going from Jerusalem down to the west and so they were walking into the sunset which seemed to sum up all this was the end not just of a day this was the end of life as they had and they're shuffling along the road their faces downcast twisted with grief and along comes this stranger and then begins to walk along with them the body language is all there the words that came out of the mouth it all sums up two people who were deeply traumatized deeply disappointed deeply sad twisting with grief and along comes Jesus himself. And he matched his pace to their pace. He didn't come along and say, Now lads, I've got 15 minutes. I'm fitting you in between two appointments here. This was unhurried. He was going to give them all the time that he was in this for as long as this was going to take. There was no hurrying this situation. So he began this wonderful journey of counselling. He's dealing with two heart souls. And maybe this morning you'll meet yourself on this, this Emmaus road. But as he walks along, the first thing he does with them, he gets them talking. He asks them some questions. And they were questions that they had to give more than a yes or no answer. They had to open themselves up a little bit. And so he got them talking. 
And as he asked them questions and they got talking, he was allowing them to open up the deep recesses of their hearts. You know, talking, what was it the BT Abbott used to say, talking is good for you. It's good to talk. And these disciples were discovering how good it was to talk. He was letting them talk about what was going on inside of them. Most people are not good listeners. Most Christians are not good listeners. We're usually trotting out scriptures and cliches when a person is still talking to us. But it's good to give a person time to talk and unpack what's going on inside of them. Good listeners. God gave us two ears and one mouth. What do you think he was trying to tell us? We should listen twice as much as we talk. And not many are good listeners. We're always dispensing wisdom before we fully understand the situation. Look at Job's comforters. You know, when they came along at first, they sat for seven days with Job and never opened their mouths. If only they'd stayed with their mouths shut. But as soon as they began to open their mouths, oh, the trouble started after that. But they sat with him and just allowed him just to be be with him for those seven days. You know, allowing people to talk is very, very important. I read a book some years ago by Steve Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. Anyone heard of it or read it? It's a very interesting book. And uh, in that book, he brings out a little phrase which I underlined and took, took to myself. He says, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Isn't that a clever saying that? Seek first to understand. Understand the other person first. Let them do the talking. Understand them. Then it's to be hoped they will give you an understanding then. But if you understand them first, seek first to understand. So Jesus gave them a chance to unpack what was going on inside of them. The skill of hearing the heart behind us. So they began to talk. And as they talked out of the heart, the mouth began to speak. Then the second thing he did for them, he gave them a new revelation. After they talked and unpacked what was inside of them, he then began to talk. And it was in response to what they had said to him. And he began to change their whole perspective of the situation. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things? And he began to show them what was said in all of the scriptures. This was the beginning of the greatest Bible study in their lives. Nothing would be more important than this Bible study. As they walked along the road and something was beginning to happen inside their hearts. And so he began to show them that suffering was actually part of God's process. Now we avoid suffering like the plague. We do not like suffering, especially when ourselves are the ones that are doing the suffering. We avoid it at all costs. But he shows them here that suffering can be a part of the process. In fact, Paul puts it like this. He said, we rejoice in our sufferings. Excuse me, Paul. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and character and hope. So suffering can produce. Often people who have gone through great suffering, they can come out of it refined at the end of that and their lives and their characters can be deeply shaped by it. And so he began to open up all the law and the prophets and the Psalms and he showed them that the whole of scripture was all about him. He was giving them a key to unlocking the scriptures here and he showed them that history is his story. 
And the whole of the scriptures all about him and the Psalms and, and in the prophets and in the, in the Pentateuch and the whole of the Bible he showed them that it's all about him. So often when we come to the word of God we come with our spectacles on. We come with our denominational spectacles on or our theological spectacles and we come looking for what we want to find. But oh to come to the word with eyes wide open. And allow God to give us fresh revelation, not conditioned and coloured by other things, but fresh revelation. And so he was giving these men, if they were men, a man and a woman perhaps, he was giving these disciples, he was giving them a fresh understanding. And as he said to them, did not our hearts begin to burn within us as he talked to us by the way? They thought they knew the scriptures. But oh, they had so much more to learn about the Word of God. And I tell you folks, you are on a journey. And as your hearts are opening up now, and as your spirits are are beginning to come into life again now, and as you're beginning to feel the moving of God, you're going to discover that the Word of God is going to take on new dimensions to you. You're going to find things in the Word that perhaps you've never seen before. And you're not going to find new truth. You're going to discover old truth that's always been there, but your eyes were blinkered and you never saw it before. And so these men... He began to give them a new revelation. Then he opened their eyes to the bigger purposes of God. Their ambitions were so materialistic and nationalistic. Their ambitions were so narrow. All they could see, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus had to show these men that look, they were being brought into something that was bigger than something local. This was bigger than the the state of Israel. This was concerning the whole world. And he was giving them a far bigger concept of what the purpose of life was. People lose hope when they lose something to live for. They say that you've never really lived until you've discovered something you're willing to die for. And these men were being introduced to the far bigger purposes of God. So many Christians live life at such a low level of purpose. But you know, God is calling you into it. And this establishing of this new church, the dwelling place. God is calling you to live for something far bigger than ever you've lived for before. He's introducing you to the big global purposes of God. And he's inviting you to become a part of his great global enterprise to reach the whole world for Christ. And these disciples now, they were, they were, they were new heart was coming into these men after this course of divine therapy. After this wonderful course of divine counselling. As he gave them new revelation, a new purpose, a new understanding, and allowed them to talk and showed them the scriptures. As he was taking them through this chain, this course of chain, their hearts were beginning to burn with them. This was the dawning of a completely new day. Everything was going to be brand new. And he was breathing on them. He said, receive the Holy Ghost. Two things were going to happen to these men. They were going to get filled with the Spirit, and he was giving them the key to understand the word of God he was showing them the scripture is all about him the key to understanding you know we discover in Luke 24 what I would call the the three basics of the Christian church I want to leave with them when you see it I'm sure you will see it in the word but these are the three basics and in these foundational days for yourselves 
You've got to grasp right at the beginning the key to the Word of God. And these are the three, what I see as the three basic elements of Christianity. We have made church so complicated. Constitutions and conferences and committees and hierarchical leadership and titles and positions and personalities. I've been up to my eyes in all of them, friends. There came a day when God began to show me there were far more to church than all the complicated stuff that we can bring to it. It can be so exhausting, so demanding of time and energy and resources, keeping up the machinery of just keeping the church going. It can wear us out. I believe we've got to get back to simple church again. And as we get back to simple church again, we will become free to devote ourselves to what really is important. Not keeping the machinery turning, but free to devote ourselves to what is really So I want this to give you from Luke 24, the three basic elements of simple First of all, it is all about the man. And we saw that Jesus certainly showed them, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. It's all about him. And I believe in church, friends, we've got to keep the man, Jesus, Son of man, Son of God, Savior of God. We've got to keep him in his rightful place at the center. Not personalities, not um, titles or positions, but the man, Christ must be absolutely central and he must continue to be central in everything we do, waiting, worshipping, all we do is centralised in him, the man. Secondly, the message. We saw this on Friday when we looked at Jonah. This is what is written, he said in verse 46. This is what is written, Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. That is the basis of the message, his death and his resurrection. There's a lot of life enhancement gospel being preached today now, friends. A lot of people say, well, come to Jesus and he'll make you happy. Come to Jesus and he'll improve your lifestyle. Come to Jesus and he'll give you a better car. Come to Jesus, you'll get a bigger house. Come to Jesus, you'll get this, you'll get that. And it's all, Jesus will enhance your life. Friends, we come to Jesus, we've got to recognize first and foremost, his death and his resurrection. And that requires repentance. Why did he die? For our sins. And we've got to repent of those sins. And so, we've got to keep the message pure. And then thirdly, the mission. Look at verse 47. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Those three elements, the man, the message, and the mission. We've got to keep this as a simple basis of church. May God open our minds to understand keeping Christ at the center. He opened their minds to understand. May God open our minds. May God illuminate our, our, our eyes to see and to understand the man, the message, he died and he rose, and the mission. And that mission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. You know, on Friday we looked at Jonah. And at the end I asked you to pray for yourself. And perhaps even lay hands on your eyes. Remember that man I told you about on Friday night, the man that Jesus took outside the village and he prayed for him and he spat in his eye. He said, do you see anything? He said, well, I see men, but there look trees walking. And then Jesus touched him a second time and he saw everything clearly. And you know, sometimes we need a second touch so that we see people clearly. And my emphasis on Friday night was to 
get rid of the, the labels that we put on people so that we have the eyes of the Lord so that when people come in we don't label them and categorize them we see them as Christ and we need the eyes touched again so that we see people as he sees them not the outside but we see the person on the inside and then today we're looking at Luke 10 24 God open our understanding God open our eyes and God open our understanding to see church as he wants it a church with Christ at the centre a church that's message is clear cut conversion experience is death and his resurrection a church with a mission a church whose mission is to go to all nations with the gospel that I believe are the essential elements of church life you know Paul prayed for the Ephesians he said oh I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened God opened their eyes he was saying I want them to understand the hope to which he has called you you know God's called us to a great no matter how good you're present the best is still ahead for the Christian it's still ahead of us the best is always ahead of us he said I'm praying that you will understand the hope then he said I pray that you will understand the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints not my inheritance in him but his inheritance in me so that when Christ looks at us he sees an inheritance he sees the riches he looks across this room and he sees treasure you are sitting next to a masterpiece this morning perhaps it's an old master but it's still a masterpiece you are sitting next to him and when God he sees treasure in us this morning sometimes we look at ourselves in the mirror and say oh God how could you ever love that person but God looks at you and he doesn't turn away and say oh I made a mistake there no he does not do that. he sees treasure and Paul prays Lord open their eyes to understand the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints you know, when you see yourself as God sees you, you begin to love yourself. Not in a worldly way, but in a good way. Because if you can't love yourself, you can't love your neighbour. So it's good to appreciate. They're looking at me well, God loves that person in there. God loves them. And the third thing Paul prayed for is that they would understand the power that is available for them. The same power. The very same power that raised Christ from the dead. That power is working on your behalf. And those are three great things. God open their eyes to understand. And may God open their eyes. Get rid of the Jonah complex. Not to hate and advice, but to love them. To see them as God sees them. To see people as he sees them. And God open our understanding. To understand that it's all about the man, Christ. He's at the centre. The message is his death and his resurrection. And the mission to take that message into all nations. Let's have a prayer. From the burning heart, from the broken heart to the burning heart. And maybe on the Emmaus Road this morning you might have met yourself. Have you bumped into yourself on the road and you saw yourself perhaps a little bit in those two disciples maybe there's been a disappointment in you this morning maybe there's been a traumatic experience that has left you very broken and disillusioned 
And maybe this morning the Lord has been just been walking alongside, no hurry, no rush. He was willing to go in and just sit with them and wait while the meal was prepared and no panic, no looking at his watch to think, well I've got to move on quickly, I've got somebody else to meet. He was there for however long it took. And finally came the point of the breaking of the bread when he was known to them. And maybe this morning you have just seen yourself and you felt the hand of the Master on you this morning. Say it's not a failure, it's not a it's not the end. It really can be a glorious beginning of something fresh and something new. Allow God to minister to you this morning, just as he ministered to those two on the Emmaus Road. Receive his reaffirmation. Receive his commendation and his comfort. Receive his rejuvenating of life within you. Re-energizing of power within you. Receive it this morning. And allow the Master, the risen Christ, who's come into this room, is dare to just sit among us for this lovely time this morning. Allow him to minister to you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. They went back a different way. They were heading into the sunrise, not the sunset. He took the sunset and he turned it into the sunrise. Oh, Jesus. Just minister now, Lord. Minister now, Lord. Minister now, Lord. <clears throat> Just come, Lord, in the power of your Spirit. Breathe over the gathering. Bring healing. Bring hope. Bring reassurance, understanding. Fresh vision. Fresh purpose. Fresh understanding. Thank you, Jesus.
Father I pray for everyone in this room this morning now I pray Lord that if there are burdens to be got rid of they'll be left here this morning if there are disappointments they'll be left at the foot of the cross if there's any disillusionment or any despair it'll be rolled on to Christ I pray, Lord, that your servants will leave this morning with a a new lightness in their step, a new joy within their hearts, a new freedom within their spirits. You don't always give explanations, but you do give revelation. And I pray, Lord, that your servants this morning, while they may not get an explanation for everything, they will get revelation that you are at work in everything. And so, Father, we bless your servants. Mightily, mightily bless them, Lord. May they become whole people so they're able to present a whole message.